Thanks, Pastor John. Amen. Well, like I said, um, you may not know, if you're, if you're here the last two Sundays and you never visited, or this first time visitor, I'm actually the pastor, just so you know, because we've had a lot of visitors. But uh, we were able to pay our building off a couple weeks ago, just so you all knew this, so the whole facility's paid off. And... Um, we got a little bit of money in the bank toward a building program that we're excited about, and we'll kind of unveil like in January what's happening. But um, it's not going to happen immediately, but you have to know that we're working on the, the plans to build a new sanctuary, which has been 13 years in the making. Uh, we had, we had a, it's a two-phase building project, so in between the ball fields and the parking lot is where our new facility is going to be. And I promise you that I promise you, and you can hold my words against me. We are going to have an awning to when it's raining and snowing, you can drive under it and drop your loved one off. Amen? And if you drive a Corvette, a new C8, I will be your valet. I will show up after church somewhere. Felt led on the Lord. Um, and so anyway, I'm excited about what's happening, what God's doing in our church facility and in our church family because it's all great, great stuff. So uh, before we get going, I want to introduce Pastor Stevie Kristen Nix. You might have seen her singing today. And, uh, and this is our new staff, team staff members, and I'm so excited to have them here out of the great state they came out of, which is the same state I came out of, just a different part. Um, but anyhow, uh, some of you have met them already. They've been here on Wednesday nights, and Pastor Stevie just... Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I just want to give a, a good shout out to Pastor Stan and Chris uh, for the invitation to, to uh, join the team here and the opportunity to, to be on staff uh, here at Change Life. We're so excited. Um, and I said this first service, too, and uh, just make sure you give us a little bit of time to remember everyone's names. Um, just maybe next week. It'll be good. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, we are, we're fueled by really the love of God, the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we want to see happen here at Change Life Church as we join the team and, and work alongside Pastor Stan uh, to reach this city uh, for the glory of Jesus. So we're excited. Thank you so much, and uh, make sure you come up and introduce yourself after service. We'd love you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Stevie. And your slides are fixed. Slides are fixed. Awesome. Thank you. So, so most of you don't know this, but Kristen was part of the church that my wife got saved at where I went to Bible college. And she was a very, very, very young, not even thought of when I got there. Um, so we've seen her grow up and now she's on staff as is Pastor Chase, who was also in diapers at the first church we were youth pastors at. Um, and again, my you have aged, you know, because um, I'm not getting any older, but... Anyway, so, so excited to see it come full circle. Hand you that, babe. And, uh, all right, well, kids, first to sixth grade, you guys can go ahead and be dismissed to kids' church. And uh, the rest of you, open up your Bibles, if you would. We're in the book of First Kings. We're starting a new series called Understanding the Seasons in Life. And so the question I would have for you is, what season are you in right now? What season are you in right now? Are you going through anything in life that you would just rather not be going through? And I really believe that as I, uh, if I were able to meet with each one of you, all of you would have a story. You would all say, you know what, this is one thing that I just would rather not be going through this. Um, but the thing is, is we go through seasons. And, and how do we navigate those seasons? How do we come out on the other side the way God wants us to? Um, so the title of today, uh, Understanding Seasons of Life, Lesson One, is titled When the Brook Dries Up. And I thought it was kind of ironic because it's pouring outside. <laughs> I thought, okay, shouldn't it be like dry outside and dusty? You know, God, eh, I love God's sense of humor. Um, and so we're going to talk about a story of a man named Elijah who was a prophet. God told him to do something. He did it. And then something happened that he didn't see coming. And, and he had to navigate that and he had to obey. 
and, and do, it, do what he had to do to see what, what was coming up. So this week, we're going to deal with the what. What was it that God asked him to do? Next week, we'll talk about the why. Um, but one thing we, we don't like, not, not one of us in here like uncertainty, do we? We don't like uncertainty. We, we don't like not knowing what's next. Uncertainty often scares us. Uh, we don't like being uncomfortable. We don't like not being in control. Some of you have to drive. You won't let your spouse drive. Why? Because you're a control freak. You know what the good news is? I'm glad you're a control freak when you're driving. Because if you're not in control, you'll be all over the place. But some of you, and I, I would love to ask for a raise of hands, but in your heart, how many of you, how many of you are really kind of scared of your, your spouse's uh, driving habits? I, let's just be honest. Who's scared of the drive? Okay, I knew I had a lot of honest people here. We're all about openness at our church. Um, but we don't like uncertainty. So here's the good news. When your life is submitted to God, you don't have to be in control. You, you have to learn that. My life is God's. I don't have to be in control. Who, who can sleep on an airplane? I can sleep on an airplane. Who here, on, just be honest, who is not afraid of flying? Like you get on a plane. Okay, how many of you, you're a little bit afraid of flying? Just lift your hands up. Um, Okay, there's, there's some fear there. I grew up, many of you know, grew up flying. My dad was a pilot, so I flew in Cessnas from when I was a little kid all the way through my adult life. And we got into some hairy situations, some storms, and two times we almost died. I mean, almost got into plane crashes where it was, it was a God thing that we didn't. Um, but I, I grew up being comfortable because I knew the pilot. I never got on the plane going, I wonder if dad's going to get us there, all right? And in an airline, I have zero fear. I get in an airline, you know why? Because I know where I'm going. For me, sometimes going down is going up. It's like I just, you know, and, and some of you know the story about the guy last year when Chris and I were going to Maui and I was sitting, I was just talking about, well, if the plane goes down, we're fine, but it won't because I'm a pastor and a church needs me and I'm just kind of just joking around. And the guy next to me wasn't so thrilled about my joking, and, and he was taking the little shots, and then I found out he was a Christian, like, and, and so he was a sipping saint. <laughs> and I was like, his walk with God isn't where mine's at. I was like, bro, we're going to be okay, you know, and I was like, we're going to get to paradise either way, whether it's paradise on the island or paradise of heaven, we're fine. And he said, not everyone shares your, like, your enthusiasm about this. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, he's scared. And I was scaring him. And maybe he really got right with Jesus. I don't know. But, but I know that, that I had a totally different outlook than this guy did. And we had a great talk. I mean, he was a great, great man. Him and his wife were there. Again, both love God with all their heart. And so I, I recognized something that there was the same plane with the same pilot, but different viewpoints. And as a Christian, that's how we can be. We got the same God. We're going to the same place, but we can have different levels of fear. Different levels of concern. Some of you are brand new Christians and you're just still kind of trying to figure this whole thing out. Some of us have been saved, you know, Rick and I have been saved a long, long time. So we know God's going to get us through this. It doesn't mean life doesn't hurt, but we just think, you know what, God's got this because he, he always has and he always will. We're at a different place in life. So what I would tell you is be patient with yourself, be patient with other people if their faith is a little shakier than you, right? We can trust an airline pilot but when you really think about it, your life is completely in his hands. And what I've seen in, in life is that some people trust in a human pilot they don't know more than they trust a God that they do know. Like, would you like to get on a plane and have the captain come on board and say, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, we're flying United Airlines. This is a pastor stand. This is my first flight. Just graduated flight school last week. It was a two-week course. Hope this works out. Would you... Everybody's like, stewardess, can I have that cart, please? I mean, because, right? Wouldn't, we, wouldn't you be a little nervous? 
If, if they allowed a pilot who was just brand new and said, hope things work out, we don't want a pilot who just hopes things work out. And then we find out that he left his microphone on. He says, Stuart, can you, can you tell me what this button does? What about this thing right in front of me with levers? What, what does this do? Sir, that's the yoke. That's what flies the plane. Oh, okay. Well, stand by in case I need you again because there might be some more things I don't know. Wouldn't that be great? You're going, uh, can I get off? Right? Can I get off? I, that would make me nervous. Right? And I'm not, a, not afraid of flying. I want to tell you something. What is unknown to you is known to God. What is unknown to you is known to God. Simply put, God knows what you don't, and you can trust that he knows what he's doing with your life or with a nation or with a country. God knows what he's doing with us. So a life submitted to God is a less stressful life. You learn to quit worrying about stuff because you know God's got this. There are times, especially in ministry, I'm like, God, do you see how your church is behaving? They're going nuts, Lord. And they're really yours. I know I'm the pastor, but, but God, the sheep are going crazy. Can you deal with them? And God's like, I've been trying to deal with them for years. Now it's your turn. Uh, and, and I'm like, Lord, I, I don't know what to do here. There are times that we don't have any control, but we know that God is in control. And here's the good news. When your life is submitted to God, you're not responsible for everything. Just yourself. You're responsible for you. You're responsible to do what God has asked you to do. So here's the story. First Kings chapter 17. And, and uh, I had this totally wrong first service. I was in second Kings 17, one through nine. And I sent my daughter the slides and I looked at them yesterday and it, I didn't catch it. And I looked this morning and it was the totally wrong portion of scripture, which was probably something some people needed to hear. All right. But I totally messed up. So Stevie, thanks for letting me know everything's, everything's cool. All right, and here's the story. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab was the evil king of Israel at this point. You may have heard of Ahab's wife. Her, her, his wife's name was Jezebel. Anybody heard about Jezebel? Jezebel is never a good connotation. You don't want to name your child Jezebel. Some of you are like, you should have told me that before. No, all right, because, because the Jezebel in the Bible was a very, very evil, wicked woman, and Ahab, her husband, was also very evil and wicked. So God's going to put some, put the screws down to Israel saying, you guys are disobeying me, so we're going to cause some things to happen to get you to wake up. So Ahab the prophet goes to, a, or I'm sorry, Elijah the prophet goes to Ahab and says this, okay, as soon as, I'm sorry, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine. God's telling him to hide. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes God says to be bold, and other times he says to hide, okay, because there's going to be a time of rest. So go to the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him. That's highlighted in red in my Bible. So he did what the Lord told him. Isn't that an important verse? I mean, if we would just go home with that verse saying, okay, I just need to do what God tells me to do. Everything will be fine. You ever tell that to your kids? <laughs> you just need to do what I said. So this morning, right? Wouldn't it be great to have children when you told them to do something, they just said, okay, and just did it. Wouldn't that be great? Anybody have a kid like that? Wait, why is my hand up? Um, yeah, no. I, I do, but not every time. We don't have kids that obey us every time from birth till whenever, whenever, right? They don't always just obey and say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Okay, do whatever you need me to do. We all have this resistance to us. I have this little 
negotiation with my granddaughter yesterday. This was great. So she's eating oatmeal this morning. She's eating oatmeal. And she says, Papa, can I have some Oreos? And I said, did you eat all your oatmeal? She said, yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm grandpa. I can give her Oreos for breakfast. I want to, but you know, do you eat your oatmeal? So I said, you can have two. She said, how about four? It's a true story. I said, how about two? She said, can I have three? I said, how about none? And she's like, can I have four? I mean, she's like negotiation thing. And I said, sweetheart, I'm looking at her. And I said, first of all, use one more bite. I'm scraping all the oatmeal out. And I go, one more bite. I said, open your mouth. She opens her mouth. She eats it. And she's like, can I have cookies? And I said, you can have two. Can I have three? I mean, she, it, she will not stand on two. It's like, no. And I said, okay, let me get something clear here, sweetie. You get two or you get zero. What will it be? Two. Yeah, she's like, she's, she's getting this. But she's like the negotiator. She's the negotiator. Her mommy will tell her, do you do this? And she's like, well, just, I need to know. And I said, no, listen to your mom now. I love you, sweetheart, but you, you will get in trouble if you disobey your mom. Mom tells you to do something, you need to do it now, not on your terms. And, and, and as much as it annoying and cute as it is, I don't know that it's really cute when we do that to God. And God says, you can have two Oreos, but can I have four? <laughs> Instead of just being okay with two. When, when, when God says, hey, I need you to do this, and you're like, well, I'll do that, God, after I'm done doing what I want to do. I don't think God goes to Jesus, oh, isn't that just cute? Just look at little Stanley. Isn't that just cute? He just has a rebellious streak in him. And I tell him what to do. Jesus, you see that? Because Jesus and God are up there on the throne. You know, look at little Stanley's behavior. God is not impressed with Stanley's rebellion because when we don't answer God's call immediately, it is a rebellion because we want to do it on our terms. And we're a lot like a five-year-old grandkid who just wants four Oreos. And if I'd have said, you can have four, she'd have said, can I have six? I know how it works, right? We're always wanting to negotiate with God as to whether we need to do what he wants us to do. And that's really not what God wants. So, so Elijah has to do what God wants him to do. And he just simply does it. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. And bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, sometime later, verse 7, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went. And we're going to deal with that part of the story next week. Um, let's get into this lesson. God, God tells Elijah to deliver a message. And then go hide in the ravine. And that's easy enough. Why hide? Hide because they're going to try to kill you for approximately two years. There's not going to be any rain. There's not going to be any dew. What does that mean? That means crops aren't going to grow. There's not going to be water to drink. There's not going to be food to eat. And when people are hungry and thirsty, they get a little bit angry. Does anybody have one of those in their home? Right? Something happens. And I think Ahab was like, yeah, whatever. Well, then one week goes by, two weeks go by, three, four weeks, all of a sudden things start drying up, crops are dying. And Ahab is like, we got to find this Elijah guy because he said only at his word will it start raining again. And that's why God said, go hide. Why? Because they're going to try to kill you. So Elijah's like, okay. So he goes and hides in this ravine called the Kareth Ravine. And he's hiding. He's got a brook. He's got food. Everything's cool. Now, why did God bring this disaster upon Israel. Why? Because Israel was known for bad behavior. Israel was known for rebellion. 
It was a judgment for bad behavior to get them to turn around. And God will cause things or allow things to happen in your life to get your attention if you're disobeying him. See, if you're living in sin right now, if there's addictions that you have, there's things that you're doing that are sinful according to the Bible, God is not going to give you a lot of comfort in that. Why? Because he wants to get you to repent. God causes things to happen in our life to get us to come back to him. Now, do bad things happen to people who are obedient? Absolutely. But there's times that God will cause things to take place to get our attention, either as a nation or as an individual. So when God tries to get your attention, pay attention. Pay attention. God gives him some specifics. Okay, what are some things, and this is some new stuff that I had found this week. Okay, here's what God does. He gives him specifics. There's no rain for a few years. He told him exactly where to hide, who would be feeding him, and what was on the menu. I mean, there's specific things. God said, okay, this is, this is what you need to say. This is where you need to go. This is what you're going to eat. This is what's going to feed you, and you're going to have some water in a brook. What God did not reveal in this story was how long he would be stationed at that location. You ever been in a location where it's like, hey, I'm going to be, be here forever. Our first youth pastor job was like that. I'm going to be here forever. Well, five years later, we weren't. And then we went to the next place, and it was, okay, it was, we're going to be here forever. Well, 16 months later, we weren't because they had a church, a church explosion that we didn't know about. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And then we went to another place for another specified amount of time, and it wasn't the time that we thought. And the brook was drying up, and it was like, okay, God, what's happening? I'll share with a little bit why that happens sometimes in, in, in our lives. Again, we, it's not the understanding, it's the obedience that's important. It's like, just keep doing what God has asked you to do. God gives them specifics, okay? See, God will always give you the information you need, not all the information you want. Amen. And that, that's how God works. So give you the information you need, not all the information you want, even a prophet. Why is that? Because if, if he gave you all the information, you wouldn't, it wouldn't require any faith, wouldn't require any faith. You don't want God telling you every detail. Who's had surgeries? Okay, everybody had surgery? Do you want the surgeon to come in and tell you everything he's gonna do to you? Everything, like, okay, I'm gonna get this number five scalpel, and then I'm gonna get a needle this long, and I'm gonna shoot you with this needle, and then I'm gonna cut you open through the epidermis, and then we're gonna get into the muscle tissue, and it's gonna be bleeding, and he starts describing all the stuff he's gonna do to your body. I just, I just wanna wake up. Right? Just do the job. I don't need you. Of course, I kind of like that stuff. Um, but, so it wouldn't bother me because I like to watch. Like, it's fascinating to me. But a lot of people wouldn't. And I was saying, if you ever gutted out an elk, if, you're from Idaho, if you hunt elk, a guy like me disappears in the elk cavity when you're gutting the thing out. I know it might gross you out, but your meat comes from somewhere. You need to know I'm your pastor. I'll tell you the truth. All right? Um, if you don't eat meat, then you don't have to worry about it. But I am a meat, I'm a meatitarian. I love meat. What did, what did God say to Peter? He said, kill and eat. So I try to be as biblical as possible as a pastor. Um, just what he said. And, and, and God doesn't, he doesn't tell you all the details. You wouldn't want to know all the details. Or marriage, right? I do a lot of weddings. I've done a lot of weddings. And I've never, I've never had the ceremony as, okay, let's be completely honest with everything that's going to happen in your marriage. An example, sweetheart, this guy right here, it's going to hurt your feelings a lot. I know he's been sweet during the dating process, but he's going to tell you things that you don't want to hear. He's going to be snarky. He's going to give his opinion. He's going to tell you what you cooked wasn't good. He's going to tell you all kinds of things in your heart. And here's the details. And here's when it's going to happen. Oh, the honeymoon that you're taking tonight? <laughs> Stand by. Because he has different ideas than you do. 
And, and, and he's going to hurt. He, this is what he, if I gave her the rundown of the first week of marriage and there was a lot of casualties, she might just hightail it right out the door and go, yeah, never mind. All of us are quiet because we kind of understand that marriage can be like this. We have our ideas of what it's going to be like. But if you had all the details of some of the pain that you would go through, you may not ever get married. So God doesn't give you all the details, and there's a reason he doesn't give you all the details. Or let's say that you play baseball, okay? And you're the batter, and this is professional. And the coach says to you, in the third inning, count's going to be two and one. The pitcher's going to throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. It's going to hit you right in the head. And the game hasn't even started yet. And, and so you, you come to bat in the third inning, and all of a sudden the count is, is two and one, and you're, you're thinking in your mind, coach told me, and coach has been right a lot when he's telling me what things are going to happen. Would you be nervous in the batter's box? You'd be like, I'm not feeling very good. The first service, I was like, <coughs> I can't smell my Gatorade, coach. I think I need to sit on the bench, right? Because I'm having these symptoms. I think I might have a fever too, Father. Yeah, and I can't smell, I can't taste the, the high chews that they gave me. So I think I just want to sit this one out. Why? Because you know what's coming. And when you knew what's coming, and when you know what's coming, you're not going to get in the batter's box. You're going to find a way to stay on the bench. And God doesn't want you on the bench. So quit asking God for all the details. Sweetheart, you don't want to know all the details. You don't want to know all the details, do you? Maybe you do. You're awful quiet right now. Let me give you some details. Do you want, you want to know what this week holds? The good, the bad, the ugly? Do you want to know when a bee's going to sting you? Do you want to know when, when things are going to hurt? You're like, well, maybe. No, but, but if you know what's going to happen and you know the time, you would spend so many hours worrying about what was going to take place. You, you just would. It's, it's so God, in his mercy, doesn't let you know all the details. And you've got to be good with that. You've got to be okay with it. It's God's mercy that doesn't tell you every detail. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. He says, deal with today. It has enough. So Jesus tells you enough. You need to trust him. In verse 7, something happens that God did not talk to Elijah about. Elijah didn't even see it coming. Elijah's kicked back, and, and all of a sudden, he's looking at the water level going, it's not as much as it was yesterday. Whatever, you know, he, whatever little thing he was, he was like, man, this is a little bit of struggle. There was a lot of water yesterday. And, and now all of a sudden they're not. What's happening? What's going on? God, why is the brook drying up? God never said to go first. God just allowed the brook to dry up because he was about to give Elijah a new assignment. And I asked this question to myself. Did Elijah get comfortable with the situation? I don't know about you. You give bad news, you go hide, and all of a sudden you got you know meat and bread in the morning, meat and bread in the evening. You got the water to drink. You're like at Texas Roadhouse, man. You don't know what's coming. It could be ribs, it could be steak, it could be ribeye, but the bread is always the same, baby. And there's always butter, and it's always good. I'm elaborating. If you're brand new to Christianity, that's not what it says. Texas Roadhouse is not a biblical thing, although it is a biblical principle that God made taste buds and food taste good. Okay. And, and he's there, and he's comfortable. And I think he's just chilling out. He's like, this is nice. Yo, Raven, ribs. No, a little closer. I don't want to get up today. I'm just bring him a little closer. And they might set him, and he's got the bread, he's got the water. He's comfortable, I think. And he's just hanging out. And then the brook starts drying up, and he's looking at it, going, whoa. Hey, God, 
<laughs> Can you turn on the water a little more? Because it's got a little shallow. And God doesn't say nothing. I'm ad-libbing a little bit here, okay? But this is, this is real stuff. Elijah's a real guy, and I'm a human. I, don't, I know how humans think. It's like, I don't see two cookies, Lord. I thought there was going to be four. And the, and the brook dries up, and he's like, wait a second. Why did the brook have to dry up? Why didn't God just say, hey, I got an next assignment for you, Elijah. Just get up and start walking. Why did the brook dry up? I asked Jesus this question. Why did the brook dry up? And I haven't heard yet. He hasn't responded to the text. So as soon as he does, I'll let you know. Uh, but he hasn't got back with me on why the brook actually drew up. So I just have to kind of guess here that, that natural things will happen, okay? Somebody thought that was heaven and angels singing. You're like, you're ready to go to rapture, right? Why, okay? Why? Why did it dry up? Well, he's about to get a new assignment. My question for you right now is, are you comfortable with your situation? Are you comfortable is there a place where you're just comfortable? Some of you may not be, but we can get comfortable in our situation. We may be comfortable. We come to church, we sing a little bit, we hear a word, we go home, nothing really changes. Does God want you to be comfortable all the time? No, there's nothing. Right. See, no faith is required when you have a fallback. No faith is required when you have a, a, a details. Okay, I don't have to have any faith. You know, in the story in Indiana Jones where he's walking through and he's got to walk across what looks like a chasm. And he's like, step of faith, step of faith, step of faith. Who, who has seen it? Who's seen the Indian Jones where he's, he's got, who has not seen it? Okay. All right. First service watches more TV than you. Um, that's okay. And, and Indiana Jones, he, he's got to take a step of faith and it, it looks like he's going to fall into this big old ravine. And finally he just does it. He just steps out and, and he steps on rock that is, looks just like the wall. And when the camera pans over, you can see the bridge. You see, God knows what you don't. God knows there's a bridge there. God knows that when you step, he is going to catch you. He will never tell you to step and go, ah, I was just joking. Ah. Hey, Jesus, you see that? I totally got him on that one. That's because that's, God and Jesus are at the right hand. Some of you think that's kind of weird, but if you read your Bible, it says that Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, and I know they have to talk about stuff. I mean, they have to talk about dumb behaviors of weird pastors in small towns in Idaho. They had, they, God's got to talk about that kind of thing. And Indiana Jones, he steps on it and he just believes that God is going to, or he you know, believes God's going to answer the call of faith. The bridge was there the whole time. It's just that he couldn't see it. I will tell you, in your life right now, the bridge has been there the whole time. God's just not giving you the details. Had somebody thrown dirt across Indiana Jones's bridge, it wouldn't have taken no faith at all to take that step. But I will have found that in my life, whenever I take the step of faith, God always answers it. Always, 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 always. That's why you need to hang out with people who have been there and done that and seen God move in a big way. Why? Because it's like, hey, God always answers faith. He always does. Amen. And he always responds to our obedience. So we don't have to worry about things. Especially about things that we can't control. And so he's got this brook that dries up. And again, why didn't God just tell him? I don't know. I don't know why he didn't. What I do know is God does things the way he wants to do it. And what we're about to find out is this, that God always has a purpose for the brook drying up. He always has a purpose. When you're serving him and the brook dries up, when you lose a job, when something happens in your life that is earth shattering, there's always a purpose behind it. And we don't always understand the purpose. We don't always like the purpose, but there is a purpose, okay? There is a purpose for season changes. One of the many things I love about living in Idaho is the season changes. I mean, I'm up out cutting, guys. <laughs> it's 72 degrees, I took my lounge chair up in the woods. I got the one that kicks back. And I'm sitting there sipping my sangria. It's non-alcoholic. I just like it. It's from Mexico. It's really good. Um, 
Rick knows that. He buys me some sometimes. And, and I'm up there reading my book. I'm in like, I'm in clothes. Okay, I almost described it. I, I was clothes, but I didn't have very many clothes on with wintertime. And it's like, I'm just kicking in the sun. I'm like, this is awesome. I read in my book. And it's, I'm with my mom and dad, and I'm getting fed well. My mom is like the raven. I mean, she's feeding us way more than, than normal. Well, I shouldn't say that. That was a lie. She feeds us a lot. Way better than he, she should feed us. And we got like lasagna and salad and dinner. I'm like, I could really get used to this. And then I'm like, wait, I grew up with this. This is what my mom did. Kicking back. All right. One day later, two days later, we have six inches of snow. I'm not out of my lounge chair anymore. I'm inside by the heater going, this is crazy. But I love it. Seasons change. Some of you want to live in a 72 degree all the time thing. But I will tell you something. When you live that way, you will get comfortable. You will get comfortable. And God doesn't want us to be comfortable. Why? Because we rarely move when we're comfortable. There's a reason for seasons. So more often than not, God chooses to keep his purpose hidden from you while you're going through the hard stuff. And what are you facing right now that you would rather not face? I mean, some of you are going through some devastating things and you will make it and you would rather not, but God is doing something in the process. So God will often use a natural event to bring about a spiritual purpose. Okay, this was just a natural thing. And God can use these natural things to bring about a spiritual purpose. Again, with elections, with kings, presidents, God is in charge of all that. And you never really know what God is up to in your life. Your job, listen to me, your job is to get up in the morning and serve God. Amen. You serve God by serving people. You serve God by looking for ways to be a blessing to somebody else. You keep your heart right and you serve people. And you will find yourself right where God wants you to be. How did I meet my wife? I want to just I to try to share you several years of a story in a short amount of time. And so I wanted just to tell you about how I met Chris, okay? So back when I was younger, which was yesterday, because I was younger yesterday, right? Back when I was in high school, uh, many of you know I grew up in the mountains, grew up in the woods, and I was going to be a mechanic. That's what I love to fix things. Uh, served Jesus my whole life. My parents did. My grandparents did. And uh, matter of fact, my dad was just telling me about the story about when my grandpa got saved. Um, he was in World War II, grew up in church, but he got saved at a tent revival in Oregon. Um, really kind of a cool story. My dad remembers he saw it happen. And so my family served God, but I never saw ministry as something I would do. Um, I was a like be by myself type of person, didn't need to be around crowds. You know, I was okay being by myself. And at 17 years old, God called me into ministry when I went to a Christian high school in Southern Oregon called Canyonville Bible Academy, and it was a boarding school. We lived there. Um, great experience. So I was out of the house at 14 years old, and my mom's like, I know there's a Jesus now, because um, he's gone, and, and I, was, I, was a, I was a wild child, so it was a really good thing for me. So went to this boarding school, and I don't remember when it happened. It wasn't like this evangelist, because we'd have guest speakers on the call of God. There was no message. It was just that I knew in my heart that that's what I wanted to do. Like, I'm supposed to go into ministry. <laughs> I'm like, oh, but I want to fix cars. And God's like, well, now you're going to fix people. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I can't fix anybody. Only you can do that. If it was ever a time that God would say touche, that would have been it. Okay, because I can't fix anybody. And, and so God called me into ministry. Well, I worked in the woods all that summer. I applied to Bethany Bible College in Santa Cruz, California, which I thought, you know, Bible College by a beach with blondes sounds pretty good. You know, that sounds like a godly thing to me. Hey, set your sights high, right? And, and so that's where I applied. I got accepted, was ready to go. And then there was a guy that worked for my dad who worked 
in another part of the, st- part of the state, in inland, because I lived on the Klamath River and by the coast, my dad had a logging site there. And that guy met somebody named Rob Spears who was going to the summer camp at Bethany Bible College and he ended up inviting me to it. And so I asked my dad, can I have the week off next week uh, to go to this, this Bible camp? He said, sure. So anyway, long story short, made this big old thing. I went to Bethany Bible College where the camp was. I met Kristen's aunt, Patty Baker, and, and they were the worship leaders and her dad, they, they led the worship, the born again band. And so I go to this camp at Bethany Bible College and they're like, you should come to our Bible college because our Bible college is better than this Bible college. All right? And it's a lot cheaper and you get the same degree. And so I was like, well, this sounds good. So I started talking and sure enough, it was gonna happen. So I announced at Bethany Bible College that I was now going to another Bible college, which would be like me letting you speak at this church and going, hey, follow me to another church. Right? I didn't even think what I was saying, and I was all excited, so I ended up going to that church where I eventually met my wife, who almost ran me over with her little Honda Civic the first time we met. I'm not that short. You can see over a Honda Civic, all right? And, and so I remember seeing her, and she ignored me, and she, she secretly liked me, but acted like she didn't, and, I had, and over the couple years, people were like, you guys are going to get married. I'm like, no, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. I just wasn't a dating in college. I just want to study and uh, I want to know Jesus more. And so we moved back to Idaho. Um, and then I began to think about her. I had started dating another gal, thought I was going to marry this other gal. And I started thinking about Chris. You talk about awkward. You're like, wait a second, Lord, I'm I'm engaged, okay, so take this carefully. I was engaged over the phone, broke up over the phone with another gal for two months. After knowing her for two months, because when you know for somebody two months, you're gonna spend the rest of eternity in marital bliss. I had bad advice from a pastor. I was like, oh, you marry her. Um, it's terrible advice. You know, you know where two months? Run, <laughs> okay, and if it's supposed to happen, then come back. So it was terrible marital advice. Well, I started thinking about Chris and all the qualities that she had, and, and I was like, God, I'm, you know, what am I doing? I'm not, when I'm saying God, I mean, like, I'm praying, like, on my knees at the altar, crying, like, why am I thinking about another one? Because I felt like I was cheating. I'm like, oh, my God. And God's like, no, the brook dried up here, buddy. <laughs> I know where that brook leads. I know where this river's going to flow. I guess it wasn't as funny as I thought, but my wife's like a river, right? This is going to be a good thing. It's going to be a good thing. And, and God's like, the brook's drying up because I see where that destination ends up, and you don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. You don't, you don't want to marry this other one. Why? Because I have something better for you, somebody that, somebody that you've known for three years. And so our love romance didn't start out with infatuation. It started out with a really good friendship. And I think that's the way it should be, okay? And she's been my best friend ever since. Okay, so she moves to Idaho. I won't tell you about the, I won't tell you about the proposal because it was the lamest proposal in the history of mankind. I'll let her tell you about the proposal, ladies, at something, and you will think less of me than you do now, because um, it was as most unromantic as possible. But to my defense, she did find the ring in my pocket without me knowing, and then she asked me if I was going to bring my coat into the house, which that's where the ring was at. So she has this way of finding things. You can't surprise her, but that's a whole nother story. So we get married youth pastor here in Boise, 1991. And things are great, we're there forever. The church eventually, some things happened and we ended up going to uh, Walla Walla, First Assembly of God there. 
Pastor John Hawthorne, great, great man of God, loved him. Well, what we didn't know when we went to that church is that there was in the midst of a, of a battle. You've been in a church battle. One thing you need to know about Change Life Church is that, that if you come here to battle, it will be a short fight. I have really big ushers. And then we'll walk you right out of here now. We have cultivated a, a family atmosphere in the 24 years. Rick will attest to this, that we just get along. We do. We have a f- just a, a great board. Board's not afraid to say no. And I respect that because, you know, they're God's people. And, and we get along with each other. We are a family-oriented church. Do we have our issues? Of course you do. See how I said that? Of course you do. All right, some of Melissa caught that. Um, everybody else is just following. Ah, all right, we all have our issues. We do. But we have a friendly church. We're a very, very healthy church. And I'm excited for that. Okay, I'm happy about that. So Chris and I, we, we go to, to Walla Walla, and, and we didn't realize what there was a beehive going that we didn't know about. Because had we known, guys, we would have said No. We'd be like, yeah, we're not, we don't want to go from this to that. We don't want to go. To, we want to do something good for God. But God doesn't always give you the details. Why? Because you would probably resist it. You would probably go, yeah, no thanks. But you guys, we need to go through hard stuff. We need to go through things that challenge us, things that make us go, whoa, hold on. This is not how it's supposed to be. And so we were there for the time, and they, the pastor was gone, and we stayed there through the interim period just to kind of keep the peace. And then when the new guy came, asked us to stay, we're like, no, we, we don't feel like we're supposed to. So we went back down to where I went to college. It was a youth pastor there. Five-year commitment ended up being five months. Okay, they had some financial troubles, and three of us got let go. Okay, and I'm, I'm going, whoa, God, why, why is the brook drying up? Lord, you said you are going to provide for us. And God says, I am. And I begin to feel the call to be a senior pastor. I felt that in my heart, like I'm supposed to pastor a church. I'm 26 years old. I got six years of full-time ministry under me, but I'm still pretty young. And, and I started feeling this stirring in my heart that, that God wanted me to pastor a church. So circumstances happened down there. Pastor Dave said, call me. I was like, man, we gotta let you go. You know, this is just a, a three-person thing and it's just a tough deal. And so we, we was like, okay, God, what now? What now, Lord? Nothing, man, it's like crickets, Nothing. We felt in our heart we're supposed to move back home to Idaho. So we got the truck and horse trailer, got our stuff that we could fit, gave away what we could and drove back home. And, and when I drove in, God was there with this angel saying, Stan, you were going to pastor this amazing church starting tomorrow. Great salary, great group of people. It's going to be awesome. No, I got back and I got a job trimming trees because I knew how to run a chainsaw. It's like, okay, God, I can do that. I can trim trees. And then I got a job, another job, painting houses, eight bucks an hour, painting houses. God, you know that brook, what's up with the brook? We're living with my mom and dad. We got two little kids. We're like, God, what's going on here? Because I'm called the ministry. I am God's man of faith and power. And I got a whole swapping six years of ministry under my belt. I'm ready, Lord. And God's like, you only think you're ready, son. I've taught you some things. I've learned something at every church I was at, under every pastor I served, under, I, I learned something. God was preparing me then for what was coming next. And so I'm, I'm trimming trees, I'm painting houses, I'm learning a trade, and, and I'm going out pretty much every night, sitting on the picnic bench in my parents' house, looking up at the services. Rick remembers this one. Meridian didn't have very many people, had 10,000 people, and we lived kind of on a farmland. And, and I'm looking up where you can see the stars, and I was like, okay, God, what do you got? Nothing but crickets and frogs. Just 
listening. Like, okay, God, show me something in the stars. What do you got for me? Nothing. It's like nothing. Like the brook dried up and God's not giving me further instruction. At least, at least Elijah had God talk to him when the brook dried up. And I'm just going, Lord, what do you want? Nothing. Just not even his voice. I was like, God, I'm serving you. I'm not in sin. Lord, what, what's happening? And I look back on those times and I think God was saying, I just want to see what you're going to do. I want to see if you're going to trust me or not. Because if you always hear God's voice and you always hear direction, you have no reason to trust him. You got to go to his word. God, what's he say? I never leave you, forsake you. I have a plan. I know the plans I have for you are good. Okay, God, I'm going to, I'm, when I can't hear your voice, I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to trust your word. Amen. And so finally, Cuna came open. We knew where Cuna was. Way out there. Home of the caveman. If you haven't been to Cuna Caves, you need to go to the Cuna Caves. All right, it's a cool place. It kind of stinks because people light fires and they do graffiti it, but it's a cool spot to visit once or twice. It's cool. You need to go there. Some of you just found out why we called the cave. Why we called the caveman? Because there's actually a cave south of town. So we come out to Cuna and we drive out one lane or two lane road, just middle of nowhere. And I drive out and we pull up to the building, which is on the other side of the tracks. If you know where Cuna Lumber's at, the big white building, it's now Cuna Cave Daycare and Alpha Home Systems. That was our church building. Only it was a 40 by 80 building. That is three building projects added onto the one that we came. So I drive up and I look at the building and that building could fit inside the sanctuary. Like, seriously, it could fit inside here. And I, I'm like, no, no, God has called me to things way bigger than this. It's amazing what our pride will do. What, what, what God will go, <laughs> you got some pride, buddy, because we all got, I'm going to humble you. And my wife, I'm like, I'm not going to sit our youth room if the last church was bigger than this building. And my wife's like, no, we have to at least visit. And I'm like, oh, okay, because I had visions of grandeur, you know, and, and, so we come to church, there's 15 people, the pastor preaching on love, and in that service, Stephanie, God said, this is where you're supposed to be. I was like, okay, this is like 24 years ago. Okay, God. So we put our application in, we have the meeting, preach on hell. <laughs> Some guy go, I can't believe you talked about hell your first year tryout service. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm passionate about seeing people come to Jesus. All right. So if, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, guys, the Bible says that hell is awaits you. That's why you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Okay. You need to get your sins forgiven because he is the only way to heaven. So I just want to preface that because there's going to be a time at the end of this message when you get a chance to do that. And I want you to be scared to death until that message. So if you need to get saved right now, if the rapture came right now and you're not right with God, get right with God very, very, very moment. Say, Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Did I say that too fast? Probably did. But that was on purpose. All you have to do is say, Jesus, please forgive me. Come into my life. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Something along those lines. God, it's just a, repair, a, a prayer of repentance. And you're right with God right then. Isn't that cool? There's no waiting period. I usually joke like in California, there's a waiting period to buy a gun. With, with salvation, there's none. Isn't that cool? Like, as soon as you ask Jesus to forgive you, he does. And, and you're right with him. That's great. And so we come to CUNA, and I put my application in, and I, I ask this, this interview process, and this lady says, friend of ours, she ended up being really good friends with her. She's like, what makes you think you can pastor us? It's <laughs> like, are you a wild bunch or something? Is there something I don't know? What she was saying is, is you're young. I was 26. <laughs> What's your experience? And I'm like, well, God will provide somehow. And so they voted me in. 
I got it, not unanimous, okay, but I got, we got voted in. And then I discovered that three other pastors who had also previously applied, tried out, and had been voted in, and all said no. I was like the fourth one. They're like, please? Like, will you just please pastor us because nobody else wants to? Um, what, what the deal was is it paid $300 a month, and you got to live in the parsonage, which was a double-wide trailer right next to the building. Okay, the parsonage was pretty old, kind of run down. And, and so you got the parsonage plus 300 bucks a month. What did that mean? That means that you've got to get a full-time job to pastor this church. You know, the three pastors didn't want to do that. And so, so I said yes, and they were like, hallelujah. I don't know if it was quite that great, but in my mind it was. All 15 of them, <laughs> you know, and that included children. Um, and, and so... <laughs> was it? And so we, so we took it and discovered that there was some debt that the church had, not a lot, it's like 1200 bucks or something. I said, well, I'm not going to take a paycheck until we get this debt paid off because I, I just believe that we need to not owe people as best we can. And so I, again, started painting houses and um, we were living on love and it was great, okay? We had Sunday school, we had kids church and we had Wednesday night Bible study in the parsonage home because the church building was being used for other things. And my wife was a trooper because she just was okay with it. Our kids' bedrooms got converted into Sunday school classrooms on Sunday. I mean, that's how, that's how invasive it was. Uh, I came out of the shower one day and I was dressed. Fortunately, I walked into the living room and there was a man standing in the living room going, is this a church office? I was like, no, it's not a church office. Um, glad it wasn't Chris because it was a little bit of an awkward moment. And then it's like, okay, lock the doors when you take a shower because you never know who might come in. All right. Well, as the church began to grow, okay, again, long story, God did some great things. Four years after we took the church, I was able to go full-time. Well, by then, I'd had a painting business that I had started um, and was making decent money. And I said, sometimes the best thing you can do is get paid eight bucks because I discovered that going out on my own, okay, taking a chance, buying some equipment, learning a trade, I started making $25 an hour. Okay, which is a huge difference in eight bucks an hour when you got a little kids and a family to feed. Well, with that, we were able to qualify for a home, which we built a new house, did a lot of sweat equity. And then when the market went up right before the recession hit, we sold it at a profit. We were able to buy the property we live on now. And, and you look back and you went, wow, God guided every step. Guided every step. Guided every step. Okay. Here we are in our dream job 24 years later. At a family we absolutely love, a church we absolutely love to be a part of. I look back and I'm like, okay, if Brooks wouldn't have dried up, this brook wouldn't have dried up, this brook wouldn't have dried up, okay. Kristen, your, your grandpa, Pastor Hood, was all a part of that. It was because he had a dream. His dream was to send out 100 pastors from his church. You can't tell me that it was coincidence that I went to a Bible camp invited by somebody who I didn't even know ended up being in this one place. I mean, you see how God's timing works, okay? And now his granddaughters and husband's on our staff. I mean, who, who would have thought in Bible college when she was screaming at two years old? And I remember that you would ever have, you know, because I wasn't going to get that old, right? <laughs> I was still 49, baby. I'm not 50 yet. Not like some other people in this church. Um, all right, you see how God uses, okay, Pastor Hood, his dream to send out 100 pastors and we're here today. And so Stevie and Kristen, they're actually kind of benefiting on the dream of her grandpa. I mean, it just, you look at it and you're like, wow, God did this. And Brooks had to dry up for that to happen. 
So the whole point of my message, guys, is that you might be in a, a situation now where the brook just feels like it's dried up and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I would just say, keep serving Jesus. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. You're going to see God's hand move in your life. There is a reason for the seasons. There's a reason. I don't want to be like that last little leaf on the, in the, on the tree in the fall that's holding on to something that I should be letting go of. You know, leaves fall down and what do they do? They actually become fertilizer, okay? We're like individual puzzle pieces and, and when you, you want to know the whole puzzle, because I, I love using this illustration, the whole, your whole life is a puzzle and one day you will put your last piece in. But when we try to figure out what the big puzzle is by looking at one individual piece, we'll look at it and go, man, this thing doesn't make any sense at all. I don't understand this. Some of you, you spend so much time Listen to me. Some of you spend so much time looking at that one piece trying to figure out what the whole thing is. You're missing out on a lot of life. You just say, okay, I'm gonna trust that God knows where this goes. Why? Because the puzzle is his. My life is his. He owns the puzzle. So Lord, I just wanna live this puzzle piece the way that you want me to live. And I'm gonna do the best I can. I don't understand this. I hate puzzles that are solid blue. It's like, this is the cloud section. and This is the sky section. I'm like, mom, you can do this. I wanna do the fun stuff. I wanna do the car I want to do the wagon. I want to do the horse because that's easy. I want to do the American flag. That's always my fun, the, the best one because that's easy. It's usually like three pieces. Or if it's a child's one, it's just one big one. Right? We want the big one. We want, we want God to show us more than he wants us to know. God, I want the kids one. I want the five-piece not McNuggets, some of you just got hungry. I want the five-piece puzzle that's this big because I want to see a lot and I want to understand the whole puzzle by this one piece. And God says, uh-uh, I'm not gonna, not gonna do that. Not gonna do that. Some days, some puzzle pieces that you just like, I will never know what that one means, but I just want to know where it goes. I just want to play my puzzle piece the way God wants me to play it. Some of you are in that right now. You're like going, I don't understand it. And God says, you don't have to. Son, daughter, I have you. I, I, I know what lies ahead. I just need you to obey now. I just need you to do what today requires. Today might require rest. Some of you have been in a season going 100 miles an hour and you're just tired. And God says, I just need you to rest. Just like Elijah, I think the reason he went to the Kareth Ravine and was fed by critters was he was just tired. And God says, I have just, well, just rest. Don't, you don't have to go 100 miles an hour because I got something for you, but I need you to be rested up. Some of you moms, <laughs> you guys are just tired. Why? Because kids drain you. I should get a really good amen right there. That's why we have kids' ministries and they're watching your kids now and you're hoping I preach long on some Sundays because they get to stand there longer than you have to watch them. You're like, this is great. Pastor, you preach me another hour next week because I just really need a break. You don't have to figure it out. Events happen in your life to get you from where you are to where God wants you to be and most of the time they are uncomfortable. Amen. They are. You gotta be okay with that. So what appears to be an inconvenience can end up being God's calling. Because every single one of us guys have a story we could look back and go, oh, that's why. If you think about it, this happened, I turned left here, I went to this store, I met my spouse. You, you, all, you all have a story. Think about how you met your spouse. There were circumstances that brought you together, right? There, there's just things that took place. I met my wife in Bible college, which is, I think is a great place to meet a wife. She used to call it bridal college. She did. One day I walked into class. I don't even know if I knew she was in that semester and I found her stuff next to mine. I was like, this is my spot. Why is there female stuff next to my spot? It's because she was playing the game, right? And in the end, I won. I got her, okay? She's an amazing person. God's call is rarely convenient. I'm almost done. 
God's plan is not based on whether it's convenient for you or not. God doesn't ask you, are, are you is there anything cool? Not once did God go to Elijah and say, hey man, are you cool? Can, can we move you on or are you still comfortable? And Elijah's like, can I get ribs tonight? God's like, sure, anything you want, right? God's, you know, the ravens are delivering Texas Roadhouse and, and he's just, this is great. God doesn't ask him how he's doing. God doesn't say, hey, you know, as soon as you're ready, we'll, we'll get going. God just goes, you know what, brook dry up. Dry it up. Elijah's like, whoa, wait, where'd the brook go? God says, I have something next for you. I want you to think for a moment. I want to close with this illustration about Billy Graham. I was thinking about Billy Graham's mom, who I don't know. But, but think about those mommy moments with Billy Graham. Billy Graham is the greatest evangelist in our generation. Man of God, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people come to Jesus because of Billy Graham. But can you imagine what little Billy was like? He's a very passionate person. What he was like, and, and Melissa, those mommy moments that his mom must have had with little Billy. She's like, Billy, knock it off. Billy's like, I'm trying to knock it off. He's probably beating his brother up and just guessing here, okay? But he's a boy and he grew up in the mountains. And, and imagine those mommy moments that she had going, why did I have you? You're just work. And it wasn't like an angel came to Billy's mom, I don't think, and said, wait, hold on, time out. He's gonna be a man of God, gonna reach many people. Be, be, be gentle to Billy. I think Billy got spanked, okay? Billy was a very disciplined man, very, very, very good man. But think about those mommy moments. So I, I have a little illustration on, on mommy moments. Next time you see M&Ms, I want you to think about mommy moment, all right? And why you need chocolate. There are moments that you need chocolate. And so I started playing on this last night as I was going over my notes, and I thought, well, what about man moments? Because men have moments. Men have lots of moments, right? We do. I have my moments, well, what about a manager moments? Because I just started playing on words here. You can Facebook stuff, labor, things that start with M, because I, I want to relate this, M and M, man moment, mommy moment, manager moments. You've been over people. Rick's been over people as a captain in the Air Force. He had the manager moments where people didn't do what you ordered, didn't do what you said. And you have, if you're over people, you understand the manager moments of going, guys, you just do what I ask or do what I told you. Do what I, if you manage people, you understand you will have moments. And then I thought, well, about marriage moments. <laughs> you probably know more about my marriage than I do. It's kind of dangerous. We have marriage moments. We have those moments where we're like, who are you? And I've known you for 30 years. You ever have those? I mean, you're like, who are you? I don't even know who you are right now. And they're like, oh, if you were who you were, I wouldn't be what just came out of me. I'm like, it came out of you because it was in you. That's why, that's bad marriage counseling. If you're talking to your spouse, it's better if I tell you that. We have these marriage moments. And we're like, what's going on? We don't understand. Well, what about the memory moments? When you remember who you were, what you did, and this devil saying, you know what, you're, you're not worth anything because I know your past. And, you, and you're struck with the memories of why did I do that? And then you have to remember that Jesus died for those moments. And that God has no memory of your sin. He sees you as a beautiful son and daughter. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Because you remember, but God says, I choose not to. You're fine. He just looks at you as if you've never did it. You're covered under the blood of Christ. Isn't that a good thing? It is memories that can hold you back. 
And then, and then I had to throw in the manicure moment. Ladies, have you ever had, I say ladies, because if you're a guy and you had one, it's okay, it's cool, we won't. I said, we won't judge you. We might. If you come to men's breakfast and tell us about it, just don't. Uh, and, and, and you have a manicure. What, what, is the, what does a manicure do for you, ladies? Makes you feel good, doesn't it? I've never talked to a woman come home from a manicure going, that was the worst experience of my entire life. I was so stressed the whole time. You just lose. No, I feel pretty good. Right? Lexi has manicure moments and she's got these big claws. My daughter, if you saw her claws, she uses it for her hairstyling actually, but for back scratches, it is absolutely amazing. And no, you can't get one. You have to be family. So manicure moments, those moments that are just fun in life. They're just good. And the last one I wrote down here was the manure moments. The times in life where it's just not fun. You're like, this stinks. It's like living in Cuna. Just do the dairy. I had a moment yesterday. Can I be honest with you, Chelsea? I had a moment. I, I, I go into Bymar, I'm putting on my mask because people know me, so I have to be obedient. When I go to other towns, I'm a little more rebellious. But in Cuna, they know me and they know what I do so I, and they know where I work. So I wear the mask and I go in there and I'm wearing the mask and it, usually I pull it off. As soon as I walk out, I pull it off. Chelsea, I walked out yesterday and they were moving all the manure pile and the wind was blowing from that direction. I took my mask off and went, <coughs> like it was the only time I regret taking my mask off. Like, seriously, it was terrible. And then, the, then it filled the inside of my truck. It was just, ugh. I got home, and I'm, I've lived here for this time. I get home, I park my truck in the garage. I walk in, I come back to get something out of my truck. Stevie, no kidding. I opened the door, and I smelled it again. I was like, this is a manure moment. This is a, manu- a moment that isn't very fun. But you know what manure is, guys? It's fertilizer, okay? You can take your manure moments and make something good out of it. And that's what God wants to do in us, Okay? God wants to do good things in our life. So I've learned that it's important to remember that your job isn't to understand, it's to trust and obey. That's what it is. I've learned that if you obey God today, he always takes care of your tomorrow. He just does. He just does. I read something this week that I kind of stole and and made it my own. And he was talking about Kansas, the comfort of Kansas. And so I wrote this. uh, Like Dorothy, you... You might want to stay in the comfort of Kansas when God is asking you to ride a tornado. Because you can stay in Kansas, you can stay mediocre, you can stay okay. But if you want to adventure in life, if you want to see something great, you got to be willing to ride a tornado to get to the land of Oz. To get to the land of wonder, to get to to the things that, that God has for you that you will never find if you stay in the comfort of Kansas. Now we like Kansas. Okay? We like the brook. We like the Kareth Ravine. We like the things feeding us. And, but, but God will allow things to dry up. Why? So that he can give you what's next. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Okay, Because I really believe this is a word from God from us. So obedient in the current assignment is so important. Okay? There's the what. What did God call me to do? The, the brook dried up. That's the what. Next week we're going to get tackled the why. Why? Because there was a woman, there was a widow and her son that were going through something that they needed Elijah and they didn't even know it. And God has this whole thing orchestrated together and it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. So do your best. God will take care of the rest. I promise you, he's got this. I've been around long enough to know that when a brook dries up, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. There's a reason why you have to say, okay, God, timing is perfect. Your timing is perfect. I'll do what I know to do. I'm gonna love people. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna grow in the moment that I'm at and when my next assignment comes, I'll be ready for it. That's your job, okay, is don't give up hope. 
Do what's right today. Make a difference in the life of someone else. Okay, you can't take someone up a stair without getting a little higher yourself. Always look for ways to help other people. Amen? Now let's deal with a question that I talked to you about. Okay, I'm going to ask you if you would just bow your head and close your eyes. And There's really no right or wrong way to do this. Some people have everybody's eyes open. But to me, it's kind of a personal thing between you and, and Jesus. Do you need to ask him into your life? Do you need to repent of your sins? Like the Bible says, there's a heaven and there's a hell. We get to choose where we go. I take that very serious. At 13 years old, I walked down an altar at this camp and rededicated my life to Christ. I was, I was serving him, but I wanted to know that I know that I knew that I was right with the Lord. And if that's you today, if you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to recommit your life to Christ, I'd like to pray with you. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you, but I do want to know who you are. And here we just say, we just lift your hand up when no one else is looking. But if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, would you just lift your hand up where I can see it just for a moment? So I want to pray with you if there's anybody in here. Okay. All right. Not seeing any hands. Okay. That doesn't mean there's not. And online, okay, there's people that have given their lives to Jesus. So it's a simple prayer. You're saying, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. It's that simple. Amen. Second question is, is are you going through a brook situation right now? If that's you, just lift your hand up quickly, okay, because I want to pray for you. All right, you can put them down. Lord, I just come before you now as, as the friend, but also as the pastor of this church, just the pastor by position. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, the hands that went up, the people that are going through these moments that they don't understand, they feel like Elijah, maybe even abandoned in some ravine, and they're just not sure what you have for them. I pray, God, that you would make it very clear that all they need to do is just keep serving you every day, moment by moment, and that there's a reason for what they're facing. There's a reason for what they're going through. And I thank you, God, that you don't give us all the details in advance. I thank you that you cause us to have to trust you a little bit because you are always faithful to your promises. And I love to give you thanks. So give them strength, Lord, to make it one more day. And just give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's close with a song. And uh, so thank you again so much for coming today. I hope, I hope you got something out of it. Amen. It's even good for me again just to go, okay, there's always a reason for what happens. So let's stand up, Pastor John. Close this hey, man, song. Come on, just...